Have you ever been tempted to do something and maybe drawn into that temptation and just about decided to, to give in to that temptation and then had a thought? What is this going to do to my relationship with God? How is this going to affect my relationship with God? And you paused at that moment. But then you also had a second thought. I'll just go ahead and do this and then I'll ask forgiveness later. Have you ever done that? It almost seems comical to, to say, hey, I'm just going to jump into this and then I'll say a quick, quick prayer after it's over and God will forgive it and wipe it away and that'll be the end of that. It seems comical, but I think it's also very common that we fall into that trap of, of thinking that forgiveness is so easy, so simple, that we can just ask for it and it's there and we don't have to worry about our sin anymore. And the truth is we're promised that forgiveness is there. But when we fall into this cycle of sin and maybe feeling a little bit of guilt and then throw out a quick prayer to God, hey, forgive it, and then it's gone, it becomes too trivial, too flippant, too easy. And I think there are at least three problems associated with that cycle that begins and continues. And the first problem is that we cheapen the gift of grace. We've been offered this incredible gift by God of forgiveness, a gift that we don't deserve, a gift that we could never earn. And yet God offers it to us over and over that we can be forgiven. And when we treat forgiveness and grace in the way that I'm talking about, it becomes cheap. It becomes so easy that we don't even think about it. We forget that there's a price that someone has paid for forgiveness. If you've ever had to forgive someone and you were truly hurt, you know that forgiveness has a price. The, the second problem is that we allow sin to take hold of us. You know, it may be that the first time we committed this sin, it seemed huge. It seems like it was going to take over our lives and we felt incredible guilt. But then we pray that quick prayer, God forgive me, and it's gone, right? And then the second time that sin comes into our lives, and the third time, and the fourth time, it doesn't seem as overpowering. It doesn't seem as evil. It doesn't seem like it's as big a deal. In fact, we get a little callous to it. It just becomes part of life. I mean, there it is. It's familiar. It's comfortable. And we allow that sin to begin to control us and guide us. And it can become really a guiding force in our lives if we're not care careful. And then the third thing, we fail to recognize the consequences of sin. When we continue in that pattern of sin, we think, okay, God, forgive me, and then we move on with life, and it seems like, well, you know, that was it, right? There's nothing, didn't hurt anybody, I'm not hurting myself, it's, it's just over, and since that sin is gone, and in a sense it is gone, God has forgotten it, God has gotten rid of it, but there is always consequences for sin. There's always a, a broken relationship, or a loss of even self-respect. There are consequences for sin, and even with forgiveness, sometimes we have to seek forgiveness from other people and heal that relationship or earn trust. There is a price to pay for sin. And if we continue in the cycle, we forget just how high a price sin really has. So today we continue in the series, Praying with Greatness. And I want us to think about how we break this cycle of sin and guilt 
and feeling, you know, oh, I should pray to God about this, and praying that quick prayer, and then thinking sin is gone. What do we do with that? As we continue this series, Praying with Greatness, we're thinking about Old Testament prayer, and we're thinking about these great people who prayed these amazing prayers, and we're allowing them to speak into our prayer lives and enrich us and empower those prayers so that they become even more meaningful. And today, I want us to turn to a prayer that we find in Numbers chapter 14, a prayer of Moses. Now, Numbers is not a place that we go very often. Um, it's a book that we avoid, as a matter of fact, sometimes because of its name. Some of you feel about Numbers a little bit the way my mother-in-law posted a picture on Facebook for my daughter this week. Maybe you resonate with that, okay? You're not thrilled with Numbers, so you avoided it in school, and you even avoid it in the Bible, but there's some great stories in this book, and this is one of them. In Numbers chapter 14, the people of Israel are on the border to the promised land. They've been been brought out of slavery by God through Moses from Egypt, and they've been carried through the promised land, and now they are literally looking over into the land that God had promised, the land even as far back as Abraham, as we talked about last week, that God would make him a great nation and that there would be a land. And here it is, and it is time to enter this land. And Moses says, let's choose 12 men, one from each tribe, to go into the promised land and look it over. And they do. And the 12 spies come back, and the report of all 12 is this. This land is amazing. And you cannot imagine the way that God is going to bless us because of this land. I mean, it produces better than anything you've ever seen. The beauty of this land is amazing. You really cannot imagine how great this is. But ten of those spies also say, you can't imagine the people who are there. You can't imagine the strength of these people and the strength of their fortifications and their cities. And there is no way that we, this ragtag group of people who have come all the way from Egypt with no home, no place of our own, there is no way that we can enter this land and take it for ourselves. And two of the men disagree. But when the people hear the report of those ten men, this is their response, and we find it in Numbers chapter 14, beginning in verse 2. It says, all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, listen to this, if we had only died in Egypt, it'd be better if we were all dead or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us out to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? Wouldn't slavery in Egypt be better than freedom with God? And then it got personal. Verse 4, And they said to each other, We should choose a leader, not Moses. We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. This guy who got us out of slavery, this guy who speaks to God, this guy who led us through the wilderness and has prepared us for this moment, he's no good. He's not good enough for us. Let's depose him and find somebody in our number who's brave enough to lead us back to slavery. Wouldn't that be awesome to be back in Egypt 
enslaved. Making bricks is better than this. That's what they say. And then those two other spies speak up. The ten said we can't take this land, and the two speak up, Joshua and Caleb. And they say, we worship an awesome God. We worship this mighty God who can carry us through and can give us this promised land. We worship a God who keeps his promises. And you know, we imagine the people hearing that and them saying, well, you know what? Joshua and Caleb, they're right. I mean, God is amazing, and he's done some pretty crazy stuff since we left Egypt. And even before, remember those ten plagues? And, and he's brought us here, and surely he can give us this land that he's been promising for so long. Surely they would have said that, but they didn't. What they said to one another is, let's find some rocks so we can kill these two guys. Because we don't want to hear this anymore. And it's at that moment when God says, I've had enough. Because this people had been complaining about not having enough water, or enough food, or the kind of food they liked, or any number of other things ever since they left Egypt. God is so fed up that we hear the words that we read in Numbers chapter 14, verse 11. The Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me? In other words, to have faith in me in spite of all the signs I have performed among them. And here's the result. I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them. But I will make you, Moses, I will make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. And I can imagine Moses having a decision to make because the answer he wanted to give may have been, well, God, you know what? You're sort of right. These people are a pain They've done nothing but complain to me as much as they have to you. They've given me all kinds of trouble. Matter of fact, they're ready to sort of throw me out. It'd be great. Let's just start over with me and you, God. But that's not what Moses does. As frustrated as God is, and as frustrated as Moses must have been in this moment, Moses' prayer begins at this point, and it really comes in two parts. The first part of the prayer is, God... If you strike this people down now, here's the problem. The nations who have been looking on around us, and they have seen you bring the people out of Egypt and now to the promised land, if you strike this people down now, all the nations will say, ah, we knew it all along. This God of the people of Israel is not strong enough to carry them into this land. Because remember, this is the day when each nation had its own god or sets of gods. And they would sort of think their god was the strongest. And if you, so you went to war with another nation and they won, well, that was a sign your god was weaker. But if you won, that was a sign you had the stronger god. But the message of Israel and the message of Moses is, it's not just that our god's better than everybody else's. It's that our God is the only real God. He's the only God who exists. He is I am, Yahweh. 
It's not that he has some name we give him. It's just the God who exists. The God who is. While all the other ones don't. And Moses wants the people all around Israel to see that this is the one mighty creator, powerful God that had promised to take his people from slavery to a promised land. That's the first part of the prayer. Second part of the prayer, we find that recorded beginning in verse 17. Moses says, Now may the Lord's strength be displayed just as you have declared. A little bit of what we were saying. But then we have quotation marks beginning at verse 18. Moses is quoting something, and it should sound familiar because it was read for us a few minutes ago. The Lord, Yahweh, is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. In accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people, just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. And that pardon quotation, Moses is quoting God's words back to him in a really bold move. Because you see, those words came on Mount Sinai. It was the second time that Moses went to Mount Sinai. This is a formative signature event in the history of Israel. Moses went the first time. He receives the law. It's an amazing time when he's with God, and they have this incredible communion, and he gets, okay, this is how the relationship between God and the people of Israel is going to work, and he takes these two stone tablets that contain this agreement down the mountain to the people, and what are they doing? Worshiping idols. Well, Moses, we, were, we didn't know where you were. We weren't sure what to do. I mean, we didn't have a God to protect us, so we made one. And Moses threw the tablets down in his fury over their disobedience. And God called Moses to the mountain the second time. It's God and Moses. And Moses, he's sick of this people. He's tired of their continual disobedience and their questioning of God and their failure to trust in God to carry them through. And what does God say in that moment? Moses, let me tell you about myself. Yahweh is slow to anger, abounding in love, and forgiving sin and rebellion. And so here in the story we're talking about today, God is sick to death of this people who have treated him with contempt. And he is ready to wipe them from the face of the earth. What does Moses say? Say, God, remember how you described yourself on the mountain? Slow to anger, forgiving both sin and rebellion. You said this is the kind of God you are. And as difficult as forgiveness comes, 
as hard as it is to forgive over and over and over and over as you've had to with this people, be true to your nature. You've set out a moral code for us, and now most sort of calling God to obey that code in such an incredibly bold move before God. God, be true to who you are and forgive these people. And the next verse says, I have forgiven them. It's already done. I have forgiven them. Now what that means is that God is not going to destroy this people. He's not going to send a plague to kill them all. So God saves the people. He forgives them. As difficult as forgiveness is at this moment, he, he offers it. And yet, as we said earlier, sin has its consequences. And God says these people who said, hey, we don't want to enter the land with God because we're not sure, they're not going in. You're going to wander around for 40 years, and all the people who are adults except Joshua and Caleb, they're going to die as you wander around in the wilderness. But their children and their grandchildren will enter the land, and they will receive the promise of God. Sin has its consequences. But God God also offers an amazing amount of of forgiveness, and it's not easy. Again, if you've forgiven in a time when you were truly hurt, you know that. And so the lesson for us today is that cheap forgiveness is no forgiveness at all. If you think forgiveness is about sort of doing whatever you want to do and then saying, hey, God, you know that thing I did, well, you, yeah, amen. If you think that's what forgiveness is, you've missed it. Cheap forgiveness trivial, flippant forgiveness is no forgiveness at all. It was not easy for God to forgive these people in Numbers 14. And we know that as Christians, we have this incredible gift offered to us, this gift of forgiveness and grace. But here's the thing. When we're offered a gift and we we receive a gift doesn't cost us anything. And the gift of forgiveness and grace doesn't cost us anything. But if you're the one giving the gift, there's a cost. And for God, the cost of the forgiveness we receive was his son on a cross. You see, cheap forgiveness That's no forgiveness at all. So how does this speak into our prayer lives? What does it say about prayer? Well, I think part of it is, yeah, we need to depend on the promise of God. God promises in 1 John 1, verse 9, an amazing promise. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We can depend on that. If we go to God and say, I'm guilty, and I need your forgiveness, we can depend on the fact that God will say, I have forgiven you. I have forgiven you. But I think it also means that we can't trivialize this, that we can't pretend like it's no big deal. 
it's over because I prayed this prayer, and now I can go back and do what I want to do and live the life I've always lived. We should. We need to ask God for forgiveness. But I think coupled with that, part of our prayer should be a prayer of repentance. And repentance means, God, this is so serious that I have said, I would rather be a slave to sin than be free with you. It's so serious. And I recognize just how much that hurts you to hear me say that. I don't want to ever do this again. Repentance is, I'm going to change. Repentance is, I'm going to live in a different way because I can't go on living my life in a way that is offensive to God so that God's words to me would be, why have you treated me with such contempt? So we need to pray a prayer of forgiveness. We need to pray a prayer trusting that God keeps his promise to forgive us. But I think coupled with that prayer is a prayer that says, God, I know this is offensive to you, and I have got to live differently. Cheap forgiveness. That's no forgiveness at all. So each one of us today are challenged with, what do I need to ask God to forgive What do I need to change? What do I need to repent of so that I don't over and over and over offend God with my sin? Let's pray together. God, we know we're sinners. And it's easy for us to try to trivialize that sin because it makes us feel better. God, help us see the ugliness of our sin. And help us also see the beauty of the forgiveness you offer us. God, we pray for your forgiveness. And as we pray for forgiveness, we also ask that you would give us the strength to truly repent so that we don't continue to treat you with contempt. God, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.